Before I started my freshman year at Mid-America Christian University, I heard that Bible college was a great place to go if you wanted to find a spouse. Ironically, that's the last thing that was on my mind at the time. Having experienced a few hurtful relationships in high school, I had decided that my focus was going to be on God and God alone. I started my freshman year wanting to grow in my relationship with God and get the experience that I needed to go into full-time ministry. It was right when I decided to focus on my faith that God brought a beautiful woman into my life, and her name happened to be Faith. Faith and I met in the fall of 2007, just a few months after school started. Now, we both have a different memory of how we first met. We share both memories. They actually happened, but we disagree about which one happened first. Faith thinks that we first met in our Foundations of Ministry class. She was eating nachos for lunch and licking the nacho cheese off of the bottom of her to-go container. I walked up to her and said, you can sure put the food away. (laughs) I remember seeing her for the first time in the lunchroom. I saw her eating lunch with some friends and decided to ask if she wanted to sit next to me in class. I think it's interesting that both memories involve food, which is great because we're both foodies. A lot of people eat to live. Faith and I live to eat. We actually plan vacations around where we think we're going to eat. You know, she played hard to get for the first couple of months. I remember being turned down a few times, but I was persistent. I eventually won her over. We ended up dating for just under a year, and then we got married in the fall of 2008. This Tuesday, we're going to celebrate 14 years of marriage, which to me, is just crazy to think about. So moral to the story, I guess Bible college really is the place to go if you want to find a spouse. Friends, today we're starting a three-week series on the topic of marriage. Most sermons about marriage are for those who've already started the journey, and they're for those who are already married. There's nothing wrong with this, but I rarely hear sermons for those who are single, either by choice or because they haven't met the right person yet. Today, I'd like to talk about what the Bible says about singleness. I'll highlight some important things that all Christians need to consider before saying, I do. And then we'll spend some time talking about important characteristics that single Christians should look for in a spouse. And my prayer is that today's message would be encouraging and helpful for all single people in our church family, for those of you who are listening online, that it would bring some clarity about God's heart for the gift of singleness. Now, if you are a single Christian, you're living in a world that's filled with so many opportunities to serve God, but there are also a lot of dangers. The places you go, the things that you do, the relationships that you build, all contribute to the person you're becoming. You may have a checklist of things that you'd like to do, projects to finish, places to go before you're ready to settle down, but at the same time, you want clarity about how to take the right next steps, especially as it relates to relationships and marriage. There's a lot of misinformation and half-truths in our culture, and even in the church, about singleness. I've talked with single people who feel less than because all their friends are married and they're not. I've seen Christians in the church assume that because someone is single, that means they should be all things to all people at all times of the day. It's not uncommon for single Christians to be involved in half a dozen ministries in the church, serving others with everything they have, and then go home feeling empty or worn out. So we need clarity on what the Bible says about singleness if we're going to minister to single people and married people successfully. So the first big question for today, what does the Bible say about singleness? I think 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is one of the best places that we can go to answer this question. Written to young Christians who are living in Corinth, 
the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to answer some of the questions that the church had and to address specific problems that had arisen within the church. In this letter, Paul addressed questions about marriage, divorce, and even singleness. His advice for how Christians are to respond to these things include biblical principles that help us faithfully live for God even today. Now, I don't have time to read all of 1 Corinthians 7. There are 40 verses that would take over half of this sermon. So I want to encourage you to read this chapter on your own when you have some free time this week. But I will go through and highlight a few of the passages that specifically talk about singleness. We'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. And then we'll jump down to verses 25 through 35. Paul wrote, now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married. So remember, Paul's answering questions that this young church needed answers to. He said, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. And I'll share that with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few restrictions as possible. And that last verse really does sum up everything that we just read. You know, all of the choices that we make throughout life, the decision about whether or not we'll get married and then to whom we'll marry is at the very top of that list in terms of importance. And if we're going to make these decisions in a way that honors God, we have to take seriously what his word says about singleness and marriage. So when Paul addressed these things in 1 Corinthians 7, he did so by looking at the Christian life as a whole, not just the issue of singleness and marriage individually. And the whole idea is this, that our relationship with God should dictate all of our earthly choices. Paul said the time that remains is very short. He also said, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. In other words, life is fleeting and our contact with the world should be as light as possible. Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to make a difference for Jesus in the world, but not be swayed by the world. We're to be involved in the world, but not be absorbed by it. I think that's a great way to think about what Paul is talking about. 
A sincere faith in Jesus changes the way in which we view every aspect of life. So looking at the bigger picture, Paul addressed how we should relate to material possessions, our pursuit of happiness or joy, how we should deal with death, you know, when those difficult times do come, and how we should keep an eternal perspective on life. For example, when it comes to material possessions, how we earn money, spend money, save, invest, this should all reflect the work that God is doing in and through our lives. Our pursuit of joy should come from our pursuit of God. Happiness is always circumstantial, but true joy is found in Christ. And that kind of joy is something that the world and its circumstances cannot take away. And when we do experience pain and loss, we can grieve like those who have hope because we know that Jesus has overcome the world. So why did Paul bring all of this up when the question was originally about singleness and marriage? Alistair Begg said it well in his book, Lasting Love. He wrote this, that marriage in all its demands and benefits, should not be allowed to reduce the believer's obligation to the Lord and his work. The apostle, talking about Paul, is not about to allow us to use the responsibilities of marriage as excuses for slackness in the service of the Lord Jesus. The point is this, God's heart is to see men and women who grow to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus. And the single life provides unique opportunities to serve God without additional responsibilities getting in the way. So Paul is saying that if you are a Christian and you've never been married or are currently not married, the single life makes a lot of sense. While there are so many blessings that come with marriage, and we're going to talk about many of these things over the next few weeks, there's also a lot of challenges and troubles. Living a life of singleness is not necessarily more spiritual. That's not what Paul is saying, but it may be the right thing for some people. And when someone feels called to a life of singleness, we should view it as a gift, just like marriage is a gift. You see, the married couple will always live with a dual obligation, and that is this, how to faithfully serve and please one another and how to faithfully serve and please the Lord. So of the two, our faithfulness and obedience to God should come first. God is to be our first priority, and that's really hard for a lot of people. It's hard for us to work that out and navigate that within our marriages. I personally wrestle with this on a daily basis because I love my wife so much. And while marriage is vital to God's design of creation, I mean, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God said it's not good for the man to be alone. And what he did in response was create woman. He created a helper, a helpmate for Adam. So marriage is vital to God's design of creation, but so is singleness. And those who are single are not second-class citizens. That's not how they should be viewed. I do want to highlight that there's a difference between singleness and celibacy. I would say that what we know from Scripture, singleness is circumstantial. It happens to people for all kinds of reasons, not being able to find a spouse. Maybe you were married and now you're a widow. Uh, Difficult family situations, medical or financial challenges, the, the list goes on. But singleness is circumstantial. Celibacy, on the other hand, is a calling. It's a gift that God gives to a few people. So what's the practical application for all of this? Well, if you are single and are not convinced that you have a clear calling to live a celibate life, you should pray seriously about exploring the option of marriage. And if you are single and you are convinced that you have a clear calling to live a celibate life, know that you've been given a gift and God can use that gift in a big way for his kingdom. Paul was personally called to live a celibate or single life. He said, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. 
Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So singleness is circumstantial. Celibacy is a calling. For the last half of the message, I want to switch gears and speak to the single people who do want to get married. For this part of the message, I want to share some important characteristics that you need to keep in mind and characteristics that you should look for in a spouse. I'll speak to the single women first. So the question is this, what characteristics should you look for in a husband? Number one, if you're taking notes, look for a husband who loves God and loves people. Right? This is the first characteristic for both men and women. It's the most important thing. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. A Christian marriage is often illustrated like a triangle with the husband and wife each representing the bottom two points and God representing the top point. If you're individually drawing closer to God, you'll naturally draw closer to one another. That's the whole point of the illustration. But if only one of you has a desire to know and follow Jesus, one of two things will happen. Either your marriage will suffer because one person is pursuing Jesus or your relationship with God will suffer because you're so focused on your marriage. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. In other words, if you allow God to take up residence in your relationships, especially in your marriage, he's going to guide you down the right path, and you'll naturally draw closer to one another because you're both pursuing Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You will find situations in the New Testament where a Christian was married to a non-Christian. But you have to understand that most of these marriages in the first century were arranged marriages. People didn't have a choice about who they married. If you're a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. And God can absolutely work in a situation like this. But please understand, if you're not married, this is not ideal. If you're not married, I want to encourage you to prioritize being equally yoked with your future spouse. Building a binding relationship, especially in marriage, with an unbeliever will likely weaken your commitment to Jesus. It'll compromise your integrity and it'll lower your standards. So stand firm in your faith and keep this first characteristic at the very top of your list. Your spouse needs to love God and love people. Number two, if you're taking notes, look for a husband who will spiritually lead his family. This is so important. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And then Ephesians 5.23 says, For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. I'm going to spend more time on these two passages next week, specifically the instruction that Ephesians 5 gives about marriage. But the characteristic for this week is this. Men are called to be the spiritual leaders of their home. You know, we're called to love and serve our families like Christ loved his bride, the church. And just like every ship needs a captain and every kitchen needs a head chef, every home needs a leader, someone who will lay down his life for the ones he loves. So every Christian woman who desires to get married should look for the kind of man who can think biblically, 
who can prayerfully weigh options and make God-honoring decisions. Now, nobody does this perfect 100% of the time. We, we all make mistakes. But good leadership requires the ability to listen to wise counsel, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and to do what's necessary to follow God. A man who spiritually leads his home well is not selfish or domineering. That's not what this is talking about at all. It's the opposite. Christian leadership in the home should always be marked by an attitude of servanthood and submission to Christ first and foremost. So ladies, if you're dating a man who always has to check with his mom before making decisions, that might not be the right man for you. An important question to ask is this, what are some of the things that he's already doing to demonstrate spiritual leadership towards you? Is he talking about scripture with you? Do you see the fruit of the spirit in his life? Is he involved in his local church? You need to understand, friends, that dating was never meant to be a mission field. Let me say that again. Dating was never meant to be a mission field. I think for a lot of young people, that's how they think of dating or courting. If he's not doing some of these things now, you can't expect them to do them when you're married. So look for a husband who will spiritually lead his family. That's so important. Number three, look for a husband who will work hard for his family. Hard workers are hard to come by. First Timothy chapter five, verse eight says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. That's what the Bible says. Again, more and more hard workers are hard to come by, but working hard is important. How a man works at his job says a lot about his character and how he'll ultimately work for and serve his family. So if you're dating a guy who spends hours a day playing video games, he might not be the right guy for you. You don't want to marry a kid. You want to marry a grown man, specifically someone who will work hard for his family. You need to be able to rely on your spouse. And laziness and complaining about work, these are not God-honoring characteristics. We're called to work as though we were working for the Lord, regardless of what we're doing. Let's not forget that work is not a bad thing. God meant for work to be good. So for the women who are looking for a husband, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are important biblical characteristics that you need to look for in a husband. If you're single, I want to challenge you to make a list of your own. You know, don't settle because it seems like time is running out. Trust God with one of the most important decisions that you'll ever make. Let's switch gears and talk to the men for a moment. What characteristics should you look for in a wife? Number one, look for a wife who loves God and loves people. Again, this is the most important thing. That's why it's on both lists. You don't want to go into marriage being unequally yoked. Prioritize marrying someone who puts God first in their lives. Keep this at the very top of your list. I believe this should be a non-negotiable for all Christians. Number two, look for a wife whose beauty is not only skin deep. I don't think any man sets out to find a wife who's physically unattractive to him, but it's important to remember that physical attraction cannot be the only positive quality about your spouse. If you're looking for a wife who spends more time in front of the mirror at the salon than she does connecting with God through his word, that's not the right woman for you. God said this to the prophet Samuel as he was looking for the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God looks at the heart, and so should we. 
I think this is especially important when looking for a spouse. One thing that I love about my wife is that she rarely misses her meeting with God. Every night before she goes to bed, she's in the word. She's reading, she's praying, she's connecting with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I think my wife is physically the most beautiful woman in the world, but her heart is what I'm attracted to the most. Her love for God, her love for her family and for people inspires me in my own faith. Over the years, I've seen her relationship with Jesus wear off on other people. That's because a sincere faith is always contagious. While her external beauty is what got my attention initially, her heart is what's led to the real attraction. Men, look for a wife whose beauty is not only skin deep. Number three, this will be the final point for today. Look for a wife who is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Ephesians 4 Verses 30 through 32, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. While kindness compassion and forgiveness are not exclusive characteristics for women. I found that women tend to do a lot better of a job at them than men. (laughs) Where most men often refuse to ask for directions and insist on doing things their way, women seem to have been created with a much greater capacity for these characteristics. I found with my own wife that she's usually the one who's more willing to stop doing what she's doing in the cause of kindness and compassion towards others. If I were to survey those who are listening to the podcast this week, I'm sure most of you would be able to share a story of a time when you were impressed by a woman's kindness, by her compassion or forgiving nature. These are important qualities and characteristics to look for in a wife. So there's a lot to digest with a message like this. At the very least, I hope that our single people have been encouraged today. And those who desire to get married have been challenged to not settle, but to rely on God's timing. Even as it relates to marriage, if it's not God's timing, you can't force it. But if it is God's timing, you can't stop it. As a church, we want to faithfully serve God by serving single people and married couples alike. So to grow in these things, we need to always go back to the source, which is the word of God. And that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. I hope that you'll follow along with us, that you'll engage in these messages, and then pray that God would help you apply them to your life.